You're listening to a parish podcast, a reimagined faith community. There's an old story that tells of six beggars who lived outside a village. This group gathered by the gates, hoping for charity to survive. Their circumstances only exaggerated by the fact that they were all of them blind. This was the condition that first brought them together, this very different group of eclectic individuals. They found a sense of belonging together. One day they heard a commotion rushing by them, and so one called out to see what was happening. Somebody running past shouted back as they did that an elephant had entered the village and everyone was rushing to see this thing. What good fortune this must be, said one of the blind men to the others. We must go as well to try and touch this elephant so we too may be part of this experience. And so the six men holding on to each other made their way to the village center. It wasn't very difficult even though they couldn't see because the sound of the commotion led them straight to the spectacle. And as the thrill wore off and the townspeople began to disperse, the blind friends made their way to the elephant and one by one reached out and touched this mysterious beast. Speechless, they returned to the village gates to sit and take their place, trusting in the generosities and charity of passers-by. And as they sat there, one of the men broke the silence by saying just how blessed he was to have touched and felt the elephant. I will never forget it, he said. I wrap my arms around the whole of it, and it stands like a tree. You see, he had reached out and touched the elephant's leg. Another one of the friends spoke up and said, What are you saying? That wasn't the spectacle at all, for I reached out and embraced with one hand, and it was as a thick rope, for this man had reached out and found the elephant's tail. Another interrupting his friend, asking if they were in the same village together at all, The elephant is like a leathery fan flapping in the wind. Surely it could take flight, for this man had reached out and touched the elephant's ear. Another of the friends spoke up and exclaimed, You both are misguided, for I reached out and the elephant touched me. It wrapped itself around my arm like a python. It could have lifted me off the ground had I not pulled back. This man touched the trunk. The fifth blind man was in complete disagreement with the others too, claiming that the elephant to be like a rock wall that billowed in and out, for he had touched the elephant's side. Finally, the sixth friend told the rest they'd all been confused, that he must have truly been the only one blessed enough to have held the elephant in his grip, and it felt as if it was a smooth porcelain sword that could pierce even the thickest of leathers, for he had reached out and touched the ivory tusk. The six friends fell into a sharp dispute and began to argue, And as time passed later that afternoon, a wise sage was walking past into the village. What is the matter, dear ones, he said. What causes such disagreement amongst your friendship? We've all just come from the village earlier today and claim to have felt an elephant, and yet we cannot agree on who is right as we describe the experience. What if each of you is right, and yet each of you is wrong, declared the wise man. Each of you is only capable of experiencing one small part. Only when you combine your experiences together can you truly see the bigger picture of all that an elephant can be. Each one of their individual answers wasn't wrong. It was just incomplete. You see, these six men didn't have a common experience of the elephant. 
Instead, what they had in common was the experience of an elephant. They didn't experience it the same way, but experienced the same thing. This ancient story is meant to help us hold gently our rigid ideas about what we experience. For it cannot be the exact same way by everyone else who experiences whatever we're talking about. And what are we talking about? What's this story in reference to? Is it reference to religion, love, politics, pleasure, pain, sorrow, grief, loss, hope? Yes, to all of them. None of us has the same life experience in common, but what we have in common is the experience of life and the full spectrum of all that that will mean. So we can relate to each other in some way, yet our individual experiences are a bit different. I'm trying to think of an experience that we could have in this life where this idea wouldn't apply. This concept in no way undermines the validity of our own thinking. It just reinforces our need for each other to see more objectively and fully. Welcome to our third week in our Belonging series, where we are recognizing and elevating the need to belong. In the first week, we addressed the psychological implications when we are and aren't a part of something greater than ourselves. Study after study has shown that we are wired for connection and the desire to belong. Abraham Maslow, who established Maslow's hierarchy of human needs, developed a psychological idea that shows how important love and belonging is to our essential desire to live and thrive. We also recognize that it's part of our spiritual DNA. That's why we're wired for connection. We're wired to be in relationship with each other. That our human connections are some of the most spiritual relationships we will ever have. We also established that there is a difference between belonging and merely fitting in. One leads to growth and meaning, and the other undermines both. Belonging is where you can be vulnerable and authentic and accepted, whereas fitting in is just about conformity. Unfortunately, faith communities have not been considered a place where you can belong unless you conform. They are not really considered to be a place of diversity, diversity of opinions, ideas, practices, or beliefs. Instead, many have become a place where you apply for membership and hope you can be accepted. It's tragic, really, but this was never the way it was meant to be. When you read through the exciting early history of the first community of Jesus followers, you realize that their diversity was what made this movement so radical. It would take almost 300 years for a Roman emperor to convert because of a manipulated view of God's favor. That's when Christianity became a controlled organization that was able to choose and control who was in and who was out. But Jesus made no distinctions. The witness of Scripture itself reminds us of this. The first four books of the New Testament are known as the Gospels, the good news of Jesus. These are four different biographies filled with encounters and ideas that Jesus shared. The first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are known as the Synoptic Gospels. These are all share a chronology in common, so to speak. Yet even when they chose to speak about and how they remembered those events differs from Gospel to Gospel. John's biography, the last, the fourth of the Gospels, stands alone as a more mystical account and telling of the life and mission of Jesus. But ultimately, it doesn't matter which one you start with, which one you read you recognize that each of them tells a story 
of everyone experiencing Jesus differently. Some stories they write about include those who seek out to find Jesus in the middle of the night. Others are stories about Jesus finding people in the middle of the day or in the middle of a lake. Some are found by city gates or sacred pools or dusty roads, even cemeteries or wells. And yet some were discovered and challenged to leave it all and try something new. Some are healed instantly from their affliction. Others are healed as they leave the presence of Jesus. Some will sneak up to try and touch him, while others will have Jesus spitting in the dirt to have him rub it in their affliction. Some never even meet him. Yet the faith of their loved one was enough for them to be made whole. Some experience his majesty as he taught, others as he performs unexpected acts of grace. Some eat with him, others fish. Some will be invited to follow, others will be invited to listen. Some who never met him will declare that he is divine merely by witnessing his last hours before his death. Two will be crucified alongside him, one asking for mercy and the other mocking. Do you see it? Every one of us experiences Jesus. We experience the divine from where we are as we are. It's the way it's always been. So like the blind men, nobody shared a common experience of Jesus either. Instead, it is the experience of Jesus they shared. The experience of being seen and being loved. This is because God is that big to meet each of us as we are, where we are. And this matters. Because each of our experiences matter to the whole. Christian community is meant to assume this. It started that way. Belonging didn't come from conforming to specific patterns, but it was an assumed value as human beings. We all belong to God. Therefore, we should all belong to each other. Belonging is a spiritual right and a practice. So if you can imagine Paul the Apostle, one of the early leaders of the Jesus movement, after the death and resurrection of Christ, people began to discover the way of Jesus, and people began to follow and gather in communities that began to form around his ideas. These were communities of strangers who were now a part of a new community of Jesus, a family connected by another kingdom, one of love, one of hope. And they were called the people of the way the way of Jesus. There were Jews of every philosophy. There were Romans, barbarians, Greeks, slaves and free, men, women, eunuchs, prostitutes, tax collectors. And as these strangers gathered weekly to eat together at a shared table, they also shared economic and social resources as well as hope and love. Something so radical was happening amongst them. Belonging. The beautiful spiritual fruit of living in unconditional, authentic relationship with each other. This is what happens when we let God's love for us produce love in us. None of them shared the same experience with Jesus, but they shared the experience of Jesus. Eventually, they would be given the name Christian as a description of this peculiar community of people who lived like Christ, but it was never meant to be a title only ever meant to be a description. Now, in these new communities, there was a lot of diversity, ethnically, religiously, you name it. What they held in common was the teachings and life of Jesus. Nothing else seemed to matter. Now, I don't know if you're struggling to envision a church community so accepting. Maybe it's not your experience. Let me read to you from some of their mail. This is a letter from the Apostle Paul to the early followers in Rome. 
They couldn't get along because some of them wanted others to practice the way of Jesus the way they did. Some wanted the Roman believers to practice Jewish purity laws regarding diet, but the Roman and Greek followers of Jesus wouldn't have any of it. They would buy meat at a discount in the marketplace after it had been sacrificed to a pagan god in a Roman temple. Others were abstaining from meat entirely, especially used meat. They saw this as an abomination. Some were observing specific holy days and festivals of their religious tradition and wanting others to do so. Others with no tradition weren't celebrating at all. And this division had the potential to supplant the very movement that had been recognized for its diversity. And so Paul, a leader in this early movement, writes to them. Let's listen in on this letter he writes to the Christians in Rome from Romans chapter 14. I'm reading from the message paraphrase. Paul writes, Welcome with open arms fellow believers who don't see things the way you do. Don't jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with, even when it seems that they are strong on opinions but weak in the faith department. Remember, they have their own history to deal with. Treat them gently. For instance, he writes, A person who has been around for a while might well be convinced that he can eat anything on the table, while another with a different background, might assure or might assume that he should only be a vegetarian and eat accordingly. But since both are guests at Christ's table, wouldn't it be terribly rude if they fell to criticizing what the other ate or didn't eat? God, after all, invited them both to come and dine. Do you have any business crossing people off the guest list or interfering with God's welcome? If there are corrections to be made or manners to be learned, Can God handle that without your help? Or say one person thinks that some days should be set aside as holy and another thinks that each day is pretty much like any other. There are good reasons either way. So each person is free to follow the convictions of their conscience. What's important in all of this is that you keep a holy day. Keep it for God's sake. If you eat meat, eat to the glory of God and thank God for prime rib. If you're a vegetarian, eat vegetables to the glory of God and thank God for broccoli. None of us are permitted to insist on our own way in these matters. It's God we are answerable to, all the way from life to death and everything in between, not each other. That's why Jesus lived and died and then lived again, so that he could be our Lord across the entire range of life and death and free us from the petty tyrannies of each other. Wow, Paul is trying here to help this diverse group of people appreciate their differences. It is interesting to note that the ones who he considers weak in their faith or the immature are the ones who can't accept the different ways others are experiencing theirs. It reminds me of the quote that religion is like the public pool. All the noise is in the shallow end. (laughs) Spiritual maturity, real spiritual maturity helps us look past our own opinions and experiences and helps us hold a diversity of ideas and thoughts together. I love the definition I read once that said, diversity is the art of thinking independently together. I understand that this can be difficult. I grew up wanting others to experience God the way I did, and I struggled with those who didn't, largely because my experience is one I can understand. But God is so big, I can't comprehend, never mind understand, all the ways that divine love can transform a life. 
Belonging is part of our spiritual practice, not only experiencing it, but offering it, extending it. I understand the objections that people may have, though, about allowing people with complicated or toxic ideas or toxic past to be part of a faith community unchecked. Belonging, though, is a two-sided coin. One side is radical acceptance that can only come when the other side is mutual accountability. One of the values that attracted me to this progressive Mennonite movement that we're a part of here as the parish is this very idea. One of the ways that we practice this is through what's called the community hermeneutic. This entire community of people here this morning is invited to help interpret the scripture and sacred ideas of faith. Not just the person at the front of the room or the person with the loudest voice. When I'm done speaking, if you're here on a Sunday morning, we will do question and response at the end of the service each week. This isn't to be trendy or to seem edgy. It's a value that is hundreds of years old and part of the peace church movement we belong to. I cannot just preach whatever I want and then walk out of here unaccountable for my words. Instead, when the speaker's finished, we open it up and we ask, how do you resonate with what was said? And, and how has been what has been said? How do you interpret it? How do you understand it? How do you see this? How do you hold these ideas? Because we recognize that we are all different, like the blind men, only holding on to a piece at a time from our perspective, from our experience. And the value of learning from each other is unbelievable. We belong. And belonging doesn't mean we always have to agree about disputable matters. It means we can set aside our differences so that we can share so that we can share so that what we can share can take its rightful place at the center of our community. And what we share is the life and teachings of Jesus. A faith community that doesn't agree isn't a flaw that we need to fix. It's a value that we need to celebrate a place where you can belong before or even if you believe. That's a radical community of people that are learning to embrace each other in spite of it all, not because there is some reward for doing so. No, those who are following the way of this Jesus, they've already come to discover that living the way of Christ is its own reward. But we come together to discover that we belong and we always have. In a room like this, it astounds me to know that many of us come from such diverse backgrounds. Some of us are Catholics, Pentecostals, Anglicans, Buddhists, agnostics, the nuns and the duns. That is those with no religious past and those who've walked away from their religious past. We are a room full of straight, queer, married, single, confused, young and old, vegetarian and vegan, carnivores and Baptists, liberals, Democrats, conservatives, some are unvaxxed, some vaxxed, all of us taxed, gluten-free, pesticide-free, and even those who eat their craft dinner straight from the pot. We are diverse, yet we choose to belong to each other because it is together, not alone that we can describe what love can do, what love can be, and maybe catch a glimpse of just how big God is. Friends, belonging is our spiritual practice, not just a product of.